Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor to students at East Campus, and I'm really thrilled to get to share with you the Word of God this morning. Um, I love preaching the Word of God. That's one of my, uh, the, the greatest blessings that I have is talking about what God has done, talking about what God, who God is. And so today, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 29. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. For those of you who um, may not know, the, the history of the nation of Israel plays out... Um, in our context, like an individual. So if you read stories in the Bible about uh, somebody withholding something and the entire nation being punished, and think, well, how's that fair if one person held out this thing that God told him not to do, and these other people who were ignorant, who knew nothing of what was going on, how were they all punished for the sins of someone else who they had nothing to do with? And the answer to that is simply that God sees the nation of Israel as he sees us as individuals. So they are a nation, they are a people, they are one entity, and he blesses them and punishes them based on that idea. So when you see the nation of Israel come to eat, come to the Jordan River for the first time, and they send spies over, and they say, no, we can't uh, go, and there's too, they're too big, they're too powerful, they're too strong, and there's some that dissent, but the majority rules, and they say, no, we're not going to go, then God sends them to the wilderness to, to wander alone. It's almost a picture of one of the, of the thieves on the cross, one of which said, uh, this is not the Son of God, you know, why, you, this is not somebody that we should worship. And then years later, after that generation died out, they come back again to the Jordan River, the exact same scenario, except this time when they go over, they say, God is with us, He is for us, we don't have to be afraid, we're going to go over in the power of who He is, not in the power of who they are, and we're going to go over and we're going to take this land. And it's the picture of the other thief on the cross who said, no, this, this, is, this man is the Son of God. I'm going to worship him. And so even in the Old Testament, you see a picture of someone who rejects Christ, even though it's a nation, and you see a picture of someone who accepts him. But at the point of decision, which in the Old Testament was the Jordan, they had to make a decision right there whether or not they were going to trust God. And so when we see this story today, I want you to understand that there's a couple of different ways that we can look at it, but I believe the, most, the best way for us to look at it today is that uh, Israel is representation today for us of an individual or a, a church body. That's the best way for us to understand this today and to kind of glean truth out from it. Uh, the temple, we're going to read a little bit about the temple this morning. In the, in the New Testament, the temple represents your body, your personal body. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, your temple is the body of the Holy Spirit now. It's not a place. It's not a location. This building is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are. You bring the Holy Spirit with you when you come into this room. And that's why the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so you don't necessarily have to be in this room to have church. You can have church in your home. You can have church in, in the, the town square. You can have church in different places because you are the church. 
We are the church. We are the temple of God that carries the presence of God to the world. Jesus called us light and salt that we go out and that we take the church to the world so that they can have access to it. Because in the Jewish nation, in the nation that we're going to read today, the Gentiles couldn't come freely inside the temple. But today, we all sit in here, and I don't know if there's any uh, Jewish nationals or, or bloodline Jews in here this morning, but I doubt it. We're all Gentiles, and we all get access to the kingdom of God because Jesus opened the door, and he took the temple from a place in Jerusalem, and he made it some, something that could be in the entire world, regardless of where you are. I don't know if you've ever been on mission with our church anywhere in the world, but one of the coolest mission trips I took with our church was in 2008 when we went to Kenya, Africa with a group of students. And every church we were in in Kenya, with the exception of one, had no walls. We were out in the middle of a, the wilderness somewhere on a mountaintop, and we had little benches set out, and we had the pastor would bring a little podium, and he would set it up, and, and we just had church right out there in the, in the middle of the woods. Uh, when I was with another team in China, we were out in the wilderness of China where it's a very oppressed place, and they, they can't freely worship, and so we were taken in a van uh, hours away from where we were staying, and we didn't know where we were going. They just said, we're going to church. And when the gates opened up and we pull in this compound and the gates shut behind us and we all get out, even though it's secret, even though nobody knows about it, we walk in and we have a meal together and we worship and we have church. So whether it's in a building like this or whether it's in the wilderness of Africa or whether it's in a secret underground church in China where two or three of us are gathered together, we can experience the presence of God because of Christ and what he's done. And today we'll have an opportunity at the end to respond to Christ and to accept him and to accept the grace that he's given to us. But Hezekiah was a man who was born in a very difficult time. If you understand the history of Israel, the history of Israel began and they were one nation. They were united together and then after Solomon's death, they split into two kingdoms. There were warring factions that were sons of Solomon that were trying to fight for power and who was going to be, to be king. And so what they decided to do is they said, we're just going to split into two nations. And so from there on, you have two nations, one called Israel, which is the northern kingdom, one called Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And today in this story, we're going to be talking about the southern kingdom, Judah, which is where Jerusalem was located. Most of Jesus's ministry was in Judah. It was, in, it was in, around Jerusalem in that area. And so we're going to talk about Judah today because Hezekiah was a king of Judah. Hezekiah's father was a man named Ahaz. He was an extremely evil man. Um, Hezekiah was born in a family of fear, uh, constantly worried about his father who was very insecure, who did a lot of things as a king to compromise the nation of Israel to make deals and pay off other kings so they wouldn't come and attack uh, Israel. Um, Ahaz worshipped a pagan god of the Assyrians and actually uh, uh, aligned and re went in and gutted the, 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 the house of God, the temple, and made the house of God a, an Assyrian worship, uh, an Assyrian idol worship facility, which you can imagine how God felt about that. But at the height of Ahaz's evil, Ahaz took one of his own children and he sacrificed his son to a pagan god. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got two boys. Hezekiah, Hezekiah's brother one day was happy and enjoying the family and hanging out together as a family. And the next day, 
brother's not here anymore because dad decided he wanted to make an offering to God and he's gone. Can you imagine being raised in a home like that? Where your dad is so out there, like he's just, he's just, he's just all over the place. That you're afraid literally for your life when you're around this man. This is the environment that Hezekiah grew up. He had a really rough history. He had a rough history. And so if you're in here this morning and you say, well, you know what? I've got a really rough history and I'm in a really rough situation or this country is in a really rough spot right now, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's history. Some, we can kind of, maybe not in the, in, the, in the truest sense of the word, but we can sort of kind of draw some, 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 some lines to how maybe Hezekiah felt when he got up in the morning and the things that he was afraid, afraid for and the things that he faced every day. But I want you to think about this. When the, word, when the world goes through difficult times, God expects his people to rise and lead. To rise and lead. And we don't rise and lead like the world rises and leads. We don't do that. We don't follow the trends online. We don't follow what we see in the news. We look at the word of God and we lead. We lift up the gospel and we lead. And that's the greatest testimony of who Hezekiah was because when he was 25 years old, he wasn't an older, older person when he was, uh, became king. When, he, when his dad passed away, he was 25 years old and he inherited the throne. I thought I'd gotten something when I was 25 when I got a new car. This guy was handed the kingdom of Judah. He was the king. He was the buck stops here. This is it. In our country, in America, you have to be 35 before you can even run for president. And this guy was 25, and he was the king. That was it. You're, you're, you have to make a decision, and your decisions are going to impact everybody out there. And this, this child who grew up, grew up into become a man was now in charge of the nation of Israel, and he's sitting there going, how in the world am I going to... Am I going to rule this country? Am I going to follow the example of my father? Am I going to follow the example of my grandfather, who was a godly man? But Hezekiah had already made that decision in his heart, what he was going to do. And when he got to the throne, he did what he had done for years, and he turned to the Word of God. And the first thing I want you to think about this morning is that God is our refuge and strength, so draw close to Him. When Hezekiah was challenged, when he was put in this situation uh, where he was uncomfortable and he was responsible, the first thing he did was run to God. He didn't run to, to, to uh, somebody to, to figure out what was going on. He didn't do like a lot of other rulers and bring in all the advisors and bring in all the, the soothsayers and bring in all the sorcerers and say, cook me a potion up and tell me what to do. No, he ran to the one true God and his word. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 18, it says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the, the, uh, the son of Eliah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, began to reign. And verse 3 says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his, his father David had done. He removed the high places. He broke the images, cut down the groves, broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it a false god, Nahushtan. And it says he trusted 
and the Lord God of Israel, so that after him none was like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. It says that Hezekiah served the Lord with a perfect heart, that he served the Lord like none other, that he didn't just go out into the world into the nation of Israel and cleanse the temples, the, the idols there. He went into the temple and he cleaned the temple out first. That he opened the doors of the temple and he drew close to God and he began with the church. And I want to tell you in these dark days, in the days that our, our country is facing challenges, the first thing we need to clean out is the church, the house of God, the people of God. As I said before, the temple represents us. It represents our body of Christ together. And we have to, to, to draw close to God and clean our lives out to make sure that we are in the Word of God and we are drawing near to Him. You know, in, in 2 Chronicles 29, it gives you a little bit more detail in different parts of the Scriptures that chronicle the times of, of Hezekiah will give you different pictures of his life and different things that he did. But one of the things that he did was he, he took the priests, the Levites, back into the temple which they'd been exiled from the temple. He opened the doors. He took them back in. He said, fellas, we're going to get the word and we're going to get in there and read and we're going to get back to the, the way God wants this place to be. And if the Levites didn't believe that he was serious enough, he went to the brazen serpent, who if you don't remember in Numbers 21 was what Moses lifted up in the wilderness to bring healing to the children of Israel had been bitten by snakes. And God said, form a brazen serpent and lift it up. And anyone who, lifts, who looks at this and believes will be healed. If they didn't think that he was serious enough, he goes into the temple and he says, fellas, we're going to look at the word of God. We're going to get in the word and we're going to get back to the way God wants things to be. And he walks over to the brazen serpent and he grabs it and he smashes it into a million pieces. And the reason he did that is because the children of Israel had began to worship the serpent, the worship, the brazen serpent that had been formed, the object. Because how many times in the church, how many times in our lives do we begin to worship things of this world more than the things of God? How many times do we, separate, do we, do we substitute the things of this world, and give our affection, attention, devotion, and time to the things of this world rather than the things of God. And you know, the, the, the key to revival and spiritual awakening in our country is that we begin to go into our homes, that we go into our lives, that we come into our church and we say, what in this place has exalted itself beyond what it was designed to do? And remove it. And Hezekiah said, if you don't think I'm serious... Watch this. And all of us have been in churches. All of us have been a part of things. All of us have had things in our homes, in our lives, that we know that we have put in a place that they do, it doesn't deserve to be. It could be, a, it could be a, an altarpiece. It could be a pulpit. It could be a stained glass window. It could be anything. In your home, it could be a certain type of music or something you look at on TV or it could be something you're on the computer on that you have given your time and your worship and your heart and your life to. And out of a sign of zeal and passion for God. I don't know if you've ever been caught up in this, but I get caught up in it too and i got to be careful, okay? Because <laughs> I can become passionate about things uh, when it comes to, when I start talking about Jesus and I start wanting to grab brazen serpents and smash them into a million pieces. Sometimes that doesn't sit well with everybody, okay? 
But you have to see where the heart of Hezekiah was, and he didn't care how many years that thing had been there. He didn't care what place of prominence that it held in the history of Israel. He didn't care what happened 500 years ago in the wilderness. What he cared about was what was happening right now. And he wanted the children of Israel to know that God was back on the throne. He wanted the children of Israel to know that today is a new day. And that we're changing our idols of worship from things of this world back to where it rightly belongs, and that is with God. One of the things that you'll realize if you follow God very long is He changes. And that drives me crazy. He dri- it drives me crazy. There was a great book by, written by Mark Batterson that was called um, Chase the Goose. And the whole premise of the book, we took our students through that, that book, and the whole premise of the book was that following the Holy Spirit is like a wild goose chase because he's not predictable. You can't put him in a box. You can't put margins around him and expect him to color inside the lines because just as soon as you get him figured out, you think he does something new that you've never seen before. If you look in the Bible, it's obvious. You know, it's not like every group of people were saved by a boat, right? It's not like every group of people were saved by a pillar of fire that led them to truth. It wasn't like everybody in the the Bible was saved by parting a large body of water and moving to the other side. He did those things because those were the things that were appropriate then. And then he led his people in a new way because we were starting something new. But it makes perfect sense if you read the book of Genesis because you realize that God is a creator. He likes to do new things with us. He likes to take us to new places because he knows our nature is to raise up brazen serpents. He knows our nature is to form things of this world that make us feel comfortable and safe, that we can, be, that we can see and touch and rely on, and it takes zero faith to deal with these things because we can see them with our eyes. He knows we have a tendency to do that. And so sometimes he destroys our brazen serpents because he wants us to focus on him because he's doing something new. And so God is our refuge and strength. And I think I've covered a couple of these at this point. Uh, Leaders read his word. Proverbs 2, 1 and 9 says, My child, if you will receive my words, if you will hide my commandments with you so that you lean into wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, we don't need to apply our heart to every post we see on Facebook and just share it. Applying your heart to understanding means digging into an issue, understanding both sides of that issue, and then filtering it through the Word of God before you start throwing stuff out on the internet and putting your name beside it. Apply yourself to understanding, and he says if we do that, we will understand righteousness. We will understand judgment. We will understand equality. We will understand every good path. But sometimes we have to slow down with the share button a little bit. And we have to look in the Word of God and say, what does God say about this situation? In what way can I best represent the gospel in the way that I'm speaking right now? What is the best way that I can share the love of Christ with people that I meet every single day and not close doors that, w- that could be used to talk to somebody about Jesus. Because I want to tell you right now, Jesus is about freedom. Jesus is about 
breaking chains. Jesus is about liberating us and making us free. The Bible even says, it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom. We sang a song about this today. There's nothing hidden. There's freedom. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to, be, we don't have to be, uh, feel bad because everything is revealed. Everything is open. Everything is free. And so we can come in and worship. When we read his word, it leads us to not only truth, but it leads us to peace, understanding, freedom. Every great movement of God that has promoted freedom from oppression, freedom from the world has been preceded by a spiritual awakening with God's people. It wasn't God's people who burned witches at the stake in Salem. It was God's, it may have been religious people, but it wasn't God's people. It was God's people who said, stop, this is ridiculous. If you read the history of that situation, it was God's people who stepped in and said, enough, this is ridiculous, this is not godly, this is not from God, this is enough. Godly people stopped that because they looked in the Word and they understood outside of the context of what was going on, and it wasn't about following the crowd, it was about what does God want to do, and I don't think this is what He wants to do. It's how we understand things as we run to His Word. Hezekiah restored the sacrifices, the festivals like Passover. Passover in this context, in this story, hadn't been practiced for hundreds of years. And Hezekiah said, hey, we're going we're to practice Passover, everybody. I don't know if you've ever done a Seder with us, but we do a Seder in our church sometimes uh, to remind ourselves of where God's brought his people. Not only that, but where God is continuing to bring his people. And so, what time is it anyway? I get, I get loose here and I get in trouble. All right, so we're good. How, what time am I supposed to stop, Will? Where are you at? I'm not used to preaching in the front. I don't know what time I'm supposed to stop. All right. Oh, when the Spirit stops me. Okay, yeah. All right. Okay, so um, where was I? All right. So Hezekiah restored the, the Passover. If you've ever done the Passover Seder with us, it's a great experience about how to remember the history of Israel and um, remember what God is doing today. But one of the cool things he did was he invited the northern kingdom to the Passover. You see how God's uniting his nation? He's pulling his nation back together. See how that works? When you start getting in the Word and you start looking at what God says, you, you start pulling everybody back together. You start pulling everything back together. That's what, that's what God wanted. That's what God wanted is to unite us, not drive us apart, not make us into two nations, not make us into 50 states that are separate. He wants to, to bring us together around one vision, one mission, one, one idea. So leaders read his word because it gets us to a place of understanding. Third, lead, lead, we need to lead with confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. I'm going to tell you, if you've never experienced a revival, a true revival, if you've never experienced one, you don't know this. But if you have, you understand that no revival ever takes place without confession and repentance. It does not happen. If you can go through your whole church career and never say one of your sins in front of another believer, you have never experienced revival. Because that's really what revival is, is it not? 
It's us coming before God, humbling ourselves, confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness, and God bringing the whole church up. And it's really cool when you see students do this because they don't know you're not supposed to do this. And it spreads like wildfire. And we take them to camp. We take them somewhere. Will and I were at crossings about two or three years ago. And we saw this kind of fire just spread through our student ministry. And those students now that were there, that saw that move of God, are now leaders in our ministry. And now they're taking their time and they're taking their lives and they're investing in 7th and 8th graders that are coming up and they're mentoring them. And it's a, organi- it's a thing we call Titus U. And it's where they, they unite with younger believers who they normally wouldn't socialize with, but they're, they're investing in them to bring them up and to disciple them in the Lord. Students, sophomores and juniors are discipling people and bringing them closer to the Lord. When you get into his word, he brings us together. He helps us to humble ourselves, to confess our sin. One of the things you'll read if you read 2 Chronicles 29 is that Hezekiah brought everybody together in a worship service. And he had sacrifices. He had all these things happen. And then he confessed himself. He confessed all the ways that Israel had messed up. All the ways that, that Judah had messed up, all the ways that, that they had done wrong, and he repented and he confessed those things before God. And it says they had this enormous worship service, and they all were united together in worship in one voice and saying, We commit ourselves to you, God. If we're to walk closer to God, humility must lead to changes in our lives. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That kind of change, it comes when you humble yourself before the throne of God and you say, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough resources to overcome the debt of sin that I have accumulated in my life And I'm throwing myself on the altar knowing that I should receive death, but standing in the grace of God. So we don't stand in our own strength. We humble ourselves before God and then by faith we stand. That's what Ephesians tells us. It says, having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand is us, right? That's us. Standing after you've done all to stand is Jesus. That's Jesus. That's where faith comes in. Our, our, our own efforts and, and strength can bring us so far and, and no further. But you, folks, I don't know about you, but what I want for East Campus and what I want for South Campus, I don't want what we can do. Because I've seen that. It drives people apart. Makes us really hateful where we don't want to be around one another. What God wants to do is bring us together and see a move of God in Bowling Green that cannot be explained outside of this is what God did, not what Eastwood did. Number four, leaders humble themselves and lift others up. You know, we've got to become really good at being cheerleaders, not for ourselves, but for other people. Specifically other people that love Jesus. And the things we cheer in people's lives that are outside the church should lead them into conversations about Jesus. So when you have a conversation with your lost friend, it might not be a good idea to praise them about how free they are and how they can go out and party and and do whatever they want all the time because they're not in the church. That's not a good thing to praise them about, okay? 
But if you see them come to church one Sunday and bring their family, that's a good thing to praise them for and say, hey, man, I'm glad you're with our family. I'm glad you're with the family of God today. That's, that's such a blessing to have you here. You're praising things that bring them into a closer relationship with God. Lift others up. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us that if we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wickedness, it says, I will hear you, I will forgive you, and I will heal your land. Our land is rough right now, but it's not because of any specific organization. It's not because of any specific political party. It's, it is in a rough shape now because the church is, is weak. And the church is weak because we don't want to humble ourselves, pray. We don't want to seek His face because when we do, it makes us feel guilty. And we're not about that life. We, we really have to move beyond that. Because God wants to hear us. God wants to forgive us. And God wants to heal our country. But there's a formula to do that. And it's, it's not comfortable for us. But God doesn't ask the, the world, the lost people, to humble themselves. He asks us to humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, the Spirit of God will begin to, to reach out to people. And they'll have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. And lastly, leaders commit to follow him moment by moment. You know, Hezekiah, in verse 10 and 11 of 2 Kings 18. It's not 2 Kings 18, it's 2 Chronicles 29. That's the other story I was telling you about. Second Chronicles 29, 10, and 11, he says, in this assembly, he says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. Have you ever heard this word covenant? Probably not a lot outside the church. Contract is something you sign when you go get your new iPhone, right? You go sign your contract, and that contract that says, I'm going to give you so, much, so many dollars a month, and you're going to give me a phone and allow me to use it and call people. But if you stop giving your hundred and whatever, or however many, $50 a month, $30 a month, whatever you pay, if you stop giving them that $30 a month, that phone's going to get cut off. But you know the difference in a contract and a covenant? A covenant is not dependent on your performance, but is dependent on your faith. Covenant says that some days you're not going to pay your bill. Some days you're not going to do your part. Some days you're going to be weak and you're going to be broken and you're going to be hurt and you're going to be outside of my will. And in those days, I'm still going to do my part. That's what a relationship with God is. If you, if you haven't noticed, that's what a marriage is too. A marriage is not you get your, your part every day. A marriage is some days you don't. But you know what? You still hang in. And that's the love and the grace of God. And I want to tell you today, during our response time, you have a couple of, of things to think about. One is, do I need to give my heart to Christ? Have I ever done that before? Have I, when I did it, was it genuine? Was it something that changed my life? Or was it just like a religious thing? And Maybe you need to give your heart to the Lord tonight, today. 
Maybe you need to, to, to just humble yourself and pray and ask God to forgive you. Maybe you need to, to, to maybe you're a Christian and you've already uh, brought yourself to the place of confession and repentance, but you just found yourself lost a little bit and you just, you're just outside of the will of God and maybe you've got anger issues, maybe you've got um, pride issues, maybe you have some sin that's going on in your life that you need to get out, out of the way of God and you've got a brazen serpent that you've lifted up in the altar of your heart. And you just need to smash that thing on, on the altar of God and say, I'm going to put God back where he's supposed to be. If that's you today, there's a couple of ways that you can respond. One, you can text the number on the screen that will be up here. Uh, the, t- the number that uh, you, you saw earlier. Text Jesus to 270-279-1031. Or you can do it the old school way. And after we begin to worship, I'm going to go out to the fireside. And uh, if you want the fireside, just straight out the back door and to the left. And uh, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to wait. And if anybody comes out, I'd be happy to talk with you, help you understand what the gospel is, help you understand how to give your heart to Jesus, maybe help you walk, walk through some of the things that you're dealing with. But the main thing is to decide what am I going to do with Jesus today. He wants you to walk a new way. The example of Hezekiah is, so poignant today because he went counter, counter to everything he had been raised to do. And the reason was is because he, he loved God more than anything else. And I believe that's who God wants us to be. It's not necessarily to walk according to the ways of this world, Romans 12 tells us, but to be conformed to Jesus. To continually renew our minds so that we can walk close to him. That's what God wants for you today. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, we're going to begin our transition time. But I would welcome you to text or come back and see me, and we can talk more about how you can walk closer to the Lord. But God wants to do something great with our church, but it's not going to happen without humility, confession, and repentance. And so I just want to pray for us today that we'd have the strength to humble ourselves. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. 
He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.